Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa 5000. I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy Gillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of the Impact Investing Podcast. Um, This week, we're talking about ESG funds. There's been an explosion in the number of ESG funds. Exciting. But... uh, the world is tightening up on what you can describe as an ESG fund or what how mm. ESG funds are rated. So there's been an explosion in the number, but uh, as with every boom, there may be a bust. So we'll come on to that in a minute. But Tom, have you uh, prepared an admin corner this Always week? Always prepared. Always prepared for an admin corner. Um, please keep your questions coming in. Um, all suggestions are welcome. Podcast at circa5000.com. Please like, subscribe on Apple Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, share with your friends, watch the videos on YouTube. Um, chart news this yep. week. Um, in uh, two of the old faithful, um, in the form of Chile and uh, Latvia, it's kind of booking the the trend of people getting sick of us. We're, we're, we're mainstays now in the, the Chilean and Latvian charts, and we are very, very appreciative. We're a, f- we're a firm uh, fixture in Latvian and we're, Chilean culture. we're a big part culture. of the day-to-day life there. <laughs> Um, you know, so along that long may that continue. It's all those it's all those updates on UK pension regulation that they it. that they stick for. Who'd have, who'd have thought? Uh, thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast, mm. regardless of not where just you are. our children and Latvian listeners. <laughs> I'd love to know what's happened to Uganda. You know, they were they, they, we were we were we were massive in Uganda for a period of time. They've had it disappeared. For that now. Yeah, um, shame. Everything has its lifespan, Tom. Yeah. Um, including the boom of ESG funds, which we're talking about this week. So there's been an explosion. Has there? Calm down. <laughs> in, a, in the number of ESG ETFs, um, so exchange-traded funds that carry a environmental, social, or governance label. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, there's a growing concern amongst investors, regulators, the industry as a whole that... Um, there was a real risk of greenwashing because you've seen that um, you've seen just a, a huge increase in the number. Mm. So the number of ESG ETFs um, has more than doubled in the past two years. So reached almost thirteen hundred at the end of twenty twenty two, and you know there's a there's a growing number of investors that are seeking to invest in impact ESG for positive outcome. Yeah. I've talked at length about the difference between ESG and impact. Um, but it's concerned that basically there's been a bit of a gold rush in terms of trying to get on that trend. Yeah. And uh, fund issuers or fund providers or asset managers have raced to launch anything with an ESG label, renaming old funds, uh, bringing out new funds, just making sure that they can include those three magic letters, ES and G. Yeah. Um, but obviously without the... Uh, regulation, the strict rules, and the consistency in what you can call different funds. Um, there's a there's a fear that there's now mm. this is just an area that's just ripe with greenwashing, basically. Yeah, um, some of the numbers there's been a doubling in ESG um, ETFs that carried the ESG label in the past two years. It's reached almost one thousand three hundred funds 
by the end of 2022 and 400 billion in assets um, in ESG ETFs by the end of uh, 2022 as well, with inflows of 75 billion during during last year. So there's, there's a huge number of funds that are flowing into this and a huge explosion in the number of uh, available options from ESG ETFs. We've talked at length about this being a major area for potential uh, greenwashing. Um, and you, you can see that in practice. A lot of the funds that have been created um, are really just pre-existing funds that have been tilted in a certain direction are not really what people are trying to achieve when they're looking at funds that are the impactful, sustainable, related to positive outcomes. They're just vanilla funds that have an ESG label put on them and underneath the hood, it's kind of business as usual. And what you've started to see is there's there's a backdrop in the EU and the UK, which is regulation is now in force in the in the EU or coming in the in yeah. the EU and UK. There's slightly different classification systems in the EU and UK, but broadly speaking, there's a top categories for what you can call yourselves. And a lot of asset managers are now downgrading um, their own funds um, out of the top category into lower categories for fear of being labelled as greenwashers. BlackRock have done it. Amundi, UBS, some of the biggest. ETF providers in the world um, have started to move the labels down a grading or two to avoid being accused of, of greenwashing because the the way that those funds are produced doesn't meet the standards, they think, of that top bracket. In the EU, it's called Article 9. In the UK, hopefully, it will be called something else. Yeah. Um, but it's a preemptive move to, to not be accused of yeah, greenwashing. They're, they're basically thinking, well, we don't want this to be a forced downgrade. So mm. they're all they're all sort of looking at w- the way that the wind is blowing, saying, well, you know, let's let's play it safe and and bucket ourselves in the in the the rank below yeah. top or even the rank below that. Um, you know, there's also the way that the the narrative is being spun spun on this some by some fund managers is that, you know, basically saying that, well, you know, there's, there's incomplete disclosures from companies, the data's not good enough, we can't, we can't uh, really, you know, we can't really design funds that meet these top categories because of the companies, not because mm. of the fact that we've designed a fund that was a marketing spin rather than a, yeah. rather than doing what it actually says on the tin. You know, they sort of, so they're sort of saying, well, we're going to play it safe until the companies get better at disclosing yeah. so we can build proper ESG funds, but really... You know, it's it's fairly self evident that what's happened in in the market is that there's been a race to spin up, yeah, and spin up new ESG funds. But particularly, there's been this race to take existing funds mm. and now say, well, we incorporate some ESG methodology in this, so it's yeah. now an ESG fund. Yeah. Um, so it's it's you know, I think like any of these things, it, it, there's been a market driven demand yep. that's then been swamped by you know, a real gold rush by the industry. And now the regulator are playing slightly catch up because they can't move as quick as people yeah. can issue funds to create yeah. new regulation. You also need to see what, how the market looks and, you know, what the consumer demand is and all the rest of it. But now there's this, this, we're at this moment where European UK regulators have said, look, we're going to tighten this up. We're concerned about greenwashing. We need clearer definitions of what you can and cannot call these things. Yeah. Um, and the industry is moving to sort of preempt that and as a result, what you're getting is uh, a downgrading of yeah. all of these funds that came out as ESG. So you've had this explosion in the number, you've had explosion in, in assets in terms of what's held in ESG, and then you're getting this like retreat where everyone's going to find a level as to what 
what actually funds yeah. are in the market. Yeah, the, uh, to put some numbers on that, the, the Article 9 being the top tier in the EU for, for, for sustainable, impactful investments, um, there are only 40 of those that are, that are in existence for now. There'll be 45 pretty soon, which is our five ETFs, which will be launched in the next few months. But that compared to the 1,300 that have been labelling themselves as ESG or sustainable, yeah. there's, a, there's a much smaller universe of proper funds that are constructed um, in a detailed um, a detailed way when it comes to sustainable and impact investments. Um, and so you've now got this rush to just don't be accused of being being a bad actor and, you know, labelling incorrectly. And then the other part of this is that you've got um, you've got the regulatory labels, mm. but then you've also got um, ratings agencies. Yeah. So big one, MSCI, uh, they're an index provider. They're yep. also a ratings agency and they provide ESG ratings. Mm. So if you look on MSCI's website, you can search for a fund and it will have information about that fund, but it will also have, it will also give it an MSCI score for yeah. ESG or an MSCI rating for ESG. Um, they are also tightening up mm. um, their rating system. So it's expected that um, there's going to be a huge downgrading of of funds. So, for example, the number of European ETFs with a triple A, which is the top ESG rating from MSCI, is set to fall from 1,120 to just... 54. Wow. So this is a colossal tightening up of that rating. And obviously it's going to be much, much harder for funds to fall into that top AAA ESG rating. Ties Uh, in with similar numbers in the Article 9, really, doesn't it? 1,300 saying that this 40 in practice are actually doing it. Yeah. Similar kind of, you know, a similar change, but a huge drop off. Yeah. So um, the other thing that's interesting, I think, on that is that – you know, we're talking about how they will judge uh, what you call a synthetic ETF. Mm. So just very quickly on that, there's two types of ETFs broadly. One is what you would call a physical ETF, and one is what you'd call a synthetic. The physical ETF buys the actual underlying stocks and shares. So if you think about all ETFs will track an index, or or most will, the, the index will then form is basically a list of companies that that fund will own Mm. in a physical etf the fund will go and buy those stocks and shares and hold them in a custody account Uh, in a synthetic etf they will get exposure to those companies but they will do it through derivatives yeah so they're no they're not actually holding the actual asset Mm. they're just replicating the returns of a basket of assets. Yeah. That's basically how it how it works. Um, but obviously, if you're investing for um, ESG or impact, if you're not holding the no. stock, then you're not really a true owner of that stock. Yeah. You're just you're just replicating the return. Yeah. You can't you can't vote. You can't be you can't be have any sort of stakeholder engagement with those companies, um, and. You're not really affecting the share price of those companies either, so yeah. it's it makes sense that basically that if you can't really have impact or really be a true ESG investor, even yeah. if you're not holding the physical stocks. So MSCI are taking that um, view that they are basically they're basically going to do away with yeah. rating, completely of remove the rating for those. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's not even a downgrade; it's it's a complete removal. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting because you will have had and I'm not sure of the numbers on this, but you will have had a series of funds that are basically just saying that they're ESG, giving you a list of holdings, 
or a list of of holdings that they're tracking, but really there's no connection to those underlying holdings. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's like me saying to you, Tom, you know, you give me some money and I will I will give you a return on that money equivalent to whatever the Apple stock price does over the next yeah. month. Yep. Neither of us have a connection with Apple. Mm. I mean, technically on those synthetic funds, there will be there'll be some yeah. reference basket and they'll be hedging out and all the rest of it. Yep. But you know, you're not a holder of Apple in that scenario. You literally just got a promissory note from me saying I will pay you the return. So yep. That's understandable, but it's a big shift. It's a big shift in the industry. Yeah, I think these are both welcome shifts, though, aren't they? Because they, the, the the rules around what funds can call themselves are getting tightened. The synthetic ETFs should never have been labelled sustainable, yeah. impactful, ESG, whatever, because of what you just described. Um, and so, I think this is the proper beginning of the of a, of a welcome shakeup in the industry on labelling and being giving customers the ability to actually assess the quality of what they're looking to buy. Um, historically, we, you know, we've said, you know, look at the top 10 holdings, maybe look at the methodologies, et cetera. Eventually, hopefully you'll get to a point where you can just look at how they're rated yeah. and look at what they're classified as. And that is a good, reliable indicator of what you're actually getting in practice. And you can have confidence that you can invest in them because at the moment and up until this moment, it's been a complete, you know, minefield has been the wild, wild west. People yeah. call themselves whatever. It's, you know, it's very vanilla, you know, traditional stuff behind the scenes and it's been massive mis-selling. So I think regulation is then pushing these industry ratings agencies like MSCI to also take note. And I think ultimately customers, investors, the everyday investor will benefit. Yeah, I mean, ultimately MSCI want to have credibility in their rating system. So yeah. if you can't have a, um, if you can't have a, a rating system that is, that is, um, you know, robust and, and matches what is out there from a regulatory point of view, mm. then there's, there's no, there's no credibility in it. So that, that is why they're moving to do this. It's happening quick. So the, this is, this is coming in at the end of April. Right. Um, wow. So, apply to all ETFs and mutual funds globally and are due to take effect by the end of April. So they're not hanging around. They're not waiting for regulators to yeah. preempt this. I mean, also, it feels like a bit of a, from sort of where we are, it feels like a bit of a, a slightly chaotic time. You know, you've got these thousands mm. of funds all shifting around in terms of labels and what they're calling themselves and all the rest of it. But this is this is what is happening in a, in a, in a flushing out moment. Yeah. You know, the regulators come on strong and said, look, we're going to, we're going to have to tighten this up because it's, it's, it's getting a bit stupid. And, they're trying to find a sensible ground where you know everybody knows where they stand. MSCI is basically a you know an MSCI rating is a shorthand, as you said. Mm. You know you'd want you'd want faith in that shorthand. So, um, but hopefully by the end of it, we end up with something whereby you know you can't just launch any old fund, call it whatever you like, yeah. and you know it confuses people who think they're getting one thing and they're actually getting another thing. Yeah, and hopefully you know funds can move away from just randomly sticking words and acronyms in the title of the fund. Yeah. You know, like something, something ESG, you know, yeah. hopefully that can just get removed and, you know, ra randomly sticking the word impact or sustainable or ESG or whatever, when it's not really that. And what will be left is just the classification of the fund. Yeah. So you don't have to stick, you know, cause this is just, it's always been just like marketing, mis-selling ploys to make, to get attention to funds. Yeah. Hopefully you can just remove all these because ESG, as we discussed before, is not really, it's not an investment strategy. It's a, it's a, it's a risk analysis. It should just be part of any investment portfolio. Hopefully it can just get removed completely from any of the namings of funds and people can just judge funds based on how they are categorized. Yeah, and it's important that those categorizations are correct, and that's why there's consultancy yeah. going that's on. That's the next and, problem. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> getting the categorizations right. I mean, it's hard because you, as I said before, you're playing catch up, and you're trying to, you're almost trying to retrospectively apply a grading yeah. system, whilst at the same time, there's loads of funds who are voluntary changing 
degrade. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's fun saying, oh, well, actually, under this world, we won't be in that. We'll be in this. So we best change that. But, you know, it's... Yeah. Look, it will, it will all come out to... Play. I mean, what's what's happening is though is you're also seeing a reduction in the number of funds coming to market mm. because a lot of fund issuers are holding off. Yeah, going right. Well, we won't launch a fund because we might end up with egg on our face. So yeah. We might launch it trying to be one thing. Yeah, you know, we might try- launch it trying to be you know AAA, or we might launch it trying to be Article Nine, or we might launch it trying to be the top grade in the UK. And then by the time the regulations all said and done, we end up either massively ahead of that yeah. at extra expense, or we end up uh, actually in a bucket that. Yeah. is below that. So yeah. there's a lot of sort of, there's, there's a shifting of the existing fund ranges around, but there's also just a bit of, right, let's just stop and wait and see what happens. So The AAA Article 9 FCA positive fund. Absolutely. Clear, clear as mud. Coming soon. Um, <laughs> another bit bit of news, Tom? A little bit of news that we spotted that we thought was worth no is the um, article in the FT, Estes, uh, Estes, investors defying Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo and Bank of America in voting for climate plans. So, Shareholders in um, those companies and some of the biggest companies in the world have backed demands for climate change plans from the likes of Goldman, Wells Fargo and Bank of America. Three in 10 um, voting shareholders, including some of the world's biggest investors, backed the resolution for Goldman to set out a climate risk transition plan that describes how it is aligning its financing activities with targets to reduce greenhouse gas um, emissions. And similarly at Bank of America, uh, preliminary figures are showing that about 29% of shareholders who voted backed an equivalent resolution also against the board's recommendation. So it's, it's, it's important, it's significant because shareholder dissent is generally regarded as being a vote against the management recommendation by at least 20% of yeah. the shares. Here we're getting 30%. Um, and so the, 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 the level of support for these kinds of resolutions is a sign of increasing demands on banks over the financing of carbon-intensive companies and projects. So you've seen these campaigns in the UK about HSBC, uh, Barclays, etc. And what you had at uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo and Goldman Sachs was Norway's uh, oil fund, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, and then the UK Investment Manager Legal and General backed the transition plan. So you're getting these big, notable investors going against management and trying to hold management to account um, for producing proper transition plans um, for how they're going to change what they're financing, basically, instead of financing, you know, the industries of yesterday when it comes to the climate, um, trying to move away from that. And it's big vocal dissent, basically, at the board level. Yeah. I mean, if you think if you think about it now, I mean, this is this is what you need for, for systemic change, really. Yeah. Is if you're getting, we talked before, and we'll come on to a bit more, we talked about BP and Shell, the yeah. shareholders uh, sort of, taking a stance against management there. Um, you've now got uh, people looking at the finance sector saying, well, we, who's funding this? Mm. There's a plan to transition, a credible plan to transition away from funding these yeah. these areas. And then you've got a tightening up of yeah. of um, uh, ratings in ESG funds where you know that will force companies who basically want to be held in these funds a lot of the time because yeah. it will force them to get better on, the reporting of this and also get better in terms of having credible plans for this because if you think about, um, you know, what you don't want is you don't want to be going into AGM with 30 plus percent of your shareholders yeah. voting against you on stuff. It's not, no. a, great, it's not a great place to be from for management. No. And it makes your other shareholders nervous as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so um, I think it's... Uh, it's signs that this is definitely becoming serious despite the fact that if you sat in the US, it might not seem as it might not seem as credible because it might just be, you know, it's this become this sort of political hot potato. Yeah. Um, you know, with, you know, people like Tucker Carlson taking a big stance against it, but 
poor Tucker is uh, job hunting at the moment. I hope he's got enough money to feed his family. Well, according to what you told me, he was earning quite a lot of money. So Some of my proprietary research. Yeah, well, I don't know whether whether that was a lie or whether it was made up or whether it was from a reliable source. $1.6 million a month, I saw, via a very reliable tweet. Um, so <laughs> this is significant because, obviously, the idea is here that if these if the biggest financial institutions in the world, so that the world's 60 largest banks provide about $670 billion in, in finance and fossil fuels last year. So the idea is that if you, are, if you steadily reduce that, it cuts off the avenues for finance for these oil and gas companies, and they have yeah. to either raise money for something else, i.e. the transition to renewable energy. That's one good thing. And the banks obviously want to continue to make lots of loans, and they start making loans to other things, yeah. more climate-positive stuff. So it's a big, it's a big step, um, and it's, it's getting more support Especially here in the in the UK and the EU, I mean, it's a it's more of a fifty fifty debate. It seems at the moment in America, and it's part of the culture wars as we discussed. But that seems far from the case in Europe, where most prominent pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, etc., are all singing from the same hymn sheet. I mean, the trouble that you've got there, though, is you've got areas of the world that are clearly moving in a in a sort of collective direction towards yeah. an end target. You've got areas of the world that aren't. Mm. You know, you've got the US is the world's biggest economy still, yeah, yeah. Um, and you've got you know some of the world's biggest companies like Saudi Aramco yeah. who dwarf the size of all the others mm. combined basically um you know so it's all well and good sort of this is positive it's undoubtedly positive yeah. but it also is a little bit worrying that we're still at the stage where you're having to convince some of these people to even have a plan in place yeah, yeah. and then you've got huge areas of the world economy yeah. and you know geography that just aren't no Aren't at the aren't at the races yeah, yet? Yeah. Um, so the, you know you've got China and India, the other two you know huge countries. India's population's taken over China for the first time. They've got this yeah. you know growing working class to middle class kind of transition that's going to you know require a lot of um, you know energy. You know what are these countries doing at the same time. So it's it's a positive sign. You know I think Europe and the UK is leading the charge on it, but without trying to you know get those other three huge you know nations and blocks to come along we've got a long way to go yeah and on on that line there was uh we we mentioned a few episodes ago about bp um and the fact that the shareholders were going to uh vote against management to sort of accelerate yeah the um climate targets well this is an example where it didn't quite mm. didn't quite hit the mark so the, 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 it was raised it was backed by a um a large group of the share, shareholders, but ninety um, percent of the shareholders backed the reappointment of the um, BP chair Helga Lund, despite some of uh, those pension schemes that we mentioned in that episode. Some of the big UK pension schemes tabling a motion to get rid of them because mm. because of they weren't happy with the acceleration of the climate yeah. uh, transition plans. So, you know, ninety it was ninety percent. I think it was. I think that was down from something like ninety-seven percent last time. Yeah. So, but you know, if you get in, if you get in the vote of ninety uh, percent of your shareholders, you probably still feel quite Constant, comfortable in yeah. your job, don't you? I'm glad you read out the chair's name because I was going to pronounce it Helge. <laughs> Genuinely, so. well, I don't know whether it, it's Helga or Helge, but I would, I would, I would. Now guess. you've said it, it sounds like it should be Helga to me. <laughs> this is the type of in-depth research that gets that goes into this podcast, and probably. Probably time to uh, (laughs) give it up for this week. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Impact Investing from Circa 5000. 
Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk, and this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast.